0: Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that by changing how we respond to insomnia, and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it, we can move away from struggling with insomnia, and toward living the life we want to live. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Felicity had struggled with sleep, on and off, for her entire life. Usually her sleep would get back on track after a few months of sleep disruption. However, when sleep issues returned due to some big life changes, Felicity's sleep didn't recover. In an attempt to make sleep happen, Felicity started to spend a lot of time researching sleep. She gave up coffee. She experimented with medication and supplements. She even booked herself into hotels because sleep seemed so impossible in her own bed. Fortunately. Felicity was able to get her sleep back on track and change her mindset about sleep by implementing behaviours that created better conditions for sleep. She practised self-care and did things that helped her continue to move toward the kind of life she wanted to live independently of sleep. Felicity did get frustrated with her progress. She felt improvements were not occurring quickly enough. However, because she committed to techniques that helped set the stage for sleep, and because she was ready, willing, and able to explore her relationship with sleep, Felicity's sleep did improve. Perhaps most importantly of all, though, Felicity's entire mindset around sleep changed. She stopped identifying as an insomniac. She started to be kinder to herself whenever difficult nights occurred, and she learned that sleep did doesn't require any effort and doesn't respond well to effort. Sleep is no longer something that gets in the way of Felicity's life. She lives her life independently of sleep, and as a result, she is sleeping well and living well. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Hi, Felicity. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you on. Let's start right at the beginning, as always. Um, can you just tell us when your problems with sleep first began and if you've got any kind of idea what, what triggered that sleep disruption?
1: Yeah, so I've had issues on and off with sleep my whole life. Um, so I found on your podcast, there's two types of people. There's some there's the people who've had a short term kind of event that's created their insomnia, and then there's the other people like me who've kind of struggled with it on and off your entire life. So I identified mm-hmm. with that. Um, I remember as a young kid, you know, we ha- we had a family holiday house. All the kids slept in the same room, just stare at the ceiling being irritated by little noises. And and then you know, I've I've had during university exams or moving house or having you know sleeping in hotels I've always struggled a bit with having short-term insomnia but it always recovered itself um in my mid-20s I went through a period of about three or four months of having insomnia and that was after my pop passed away and I moved in with my grandma and it was a hard time for our family um but that passed and I was pretty much, I guess, symptom-free if you wanted to use that word for about eight, year, eight or nine years, and then the pandemic hit last year. And I was actually moving to the US in the March of last year, and I was literally ready to go the next day, had sold up, packed up, and everything. And then I had to, I decided not to go because it was so unstable, and um, the situation in the US wasn't looking good. Um, So I ended up moving in with my parents and luckily my job took me back and I slept absolutely amazingly living with my parents, like in my old bed, Um, but I wanted a life change and Australia is a big country. I was living in Victoria, which is in the south, and I thought I can still have a new adventure and I'd asked work if I could move to Queensland, which is at the top of Australia. It's got a better climate. It's... um, We've got good beaches and mm-hmm. everything and and the way they've handled the pandemic here is they've shut state borders so the state I'm in mean Queensland now still has its border shut to half of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um so I was waiting until the border opened for Queensland but I saw the situation was getting worse in my home state and I thought I'm not getting stuck here any longer. So I packed a suitcase and I literally flew out to Sydney next day and over the next 12 weeks I worked out of hotels. I lived in 12 hotels, I think. Um I was monitoring the situation every single day, waiting for the border to open in Queensland. And um I didn't really know where where I was going or where I was going to end up. But I it came back pretty much straight away when that started. Um, I didn't let it worry me too much because I knew that I was in a high stress situation. But then when I settled Mm. in Brisbane, which is what the city I live in now, I expected it all to go away um, mm. because a lot of the stress had gone away, but it didn't go away. It just continued on and on. And I was trying to ignore it. And I was, um, I thought that I was settled, but in reality, I was in a new city, I was in a new office. Um, my relocation wasn't actually approved. So that was a little bit of a thing <laughs> with work. Um, and then I decided to get on the dating apps. So I was out living my best life, drinking Mm -hmm. and having a good time and pretending I was 25 again. Um, And it was just, it wasn't improving at all. And then consequent kind of things that have happened over the last 12 months of just, were just perpetuating it so bad that that's when I ended up reaching out to you.
0: Yeah. So what what were those nights like, like more recently when you did that relocation and you found that those sleep issues returned and they seemed to... Be a bit more stubborn this time and, and not be going yeah. away. Like what what was 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 there a typical night? Was there an average night?
1: I've gone everything from going to sleep instantly and waking up early to spending hours trying to get to sleep but being out of sleep in and but waking up a lot. I've kind of gone through the full gamut. But during that time it was that I would go to sleep pretty fast and I would wake up multiple times waking up multiple times. So I was this just accumulating sleep debt. Um, and one of the other times I've had insomnia in the past, I I got very depressed because of it. I was yeah. just so when I got it this time, I was determined not to do that. So I still was out. I never canceled any social things, and um, but it just wasn't helping. And I think the going to bed at midnight one night and eight a.m. eight p.m. the next night, obviously that wasn't helping either. Mm. Um, but it was just those early morning wakenings and just the constant aching of my legs and headaches. And um, But also I came from a city where it's like a late night, late morning place to living here where the sun rises at 4.30 in the morning. Oh. So my normal sleep was I'd go to bed at 11 and I'd wake get up at 7. Mm-hmm. But then here I'm going to bed at 11 and then I'm waking up at 4.30 and it's broad daylight. And so I was yeah. almost in this jet lag <laughs> state. And then I can't yeah. get back to sleep when it's broad daylight. It's just like against your body clock.
0: <laughs> so yeah. but
1: I go to bed at like 8.30 now.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so wow. I've
1: adjusted, but yeah.
0: Yeah. So... Back before you kind of reached out to me, um, what kind of things were you doing anything? You know, when you moved, you relocated, this insomnia came back, the struggle seemed to happen again. What kind of things did you try um, to do or to change to try and fix the situation that now you're able to look back back on it um, probably weren't that helpful?
1: So I gave up coffee, um, which I loved, (laughs) and still love okay. and also didn't drink excessively. I would have like one in the morning. Yeah. Um, I was on an endless research project to the point where I was like studying brain scans from scientific studies and I was research. And obviously, you know, when you read that having insomnia is going to give you basically every degenerative brain disease there is um, that doesn't help. Yeah. I, I, um, I would avoid sleeping in my own bed. So I would like book hotels a couple of kilometers away from me just so that I didn't have to sleep in my own bed or I'd go home to my see my mom to sleep in that. I call it the magic bed where <laughs> I had nine hours sleep every night. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what else did I do? Going to bed early, going to bed late. And then I tried all the herbs. I tried sleeping pills. So they didn't. I mean, they don't work. So every little thing I tried that I mentioned worked briefly mm, <laughs> and then yeah. it stops working. So the herbal ones and then I even tried anti-depression medication even though mm. I don't have depression. And And what I found with that was that rather than having racing thoughts, I just had no thoughts, but I still wasn't getting to sleep. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so it was I just tried. And then during, even during my recovery, I've gone through phases of Wanting to sleep in the same bed as my partner, to not wanting to sleep in the same bed as my partner, to Mm. just so many different little vices that I tried and they just had this short term or no effect. And um, when I started, when I moved to Brisbane, it's actually really hard to get sleeping medications and stuff in Australia. Mm. So it was a bit of a like, you need to have a long term relationship with a doctor and you need to show that you're take getting therapy and stuff and I didn't have that here so when I moved to Brisbane like getting sleeping pills stopped really becoming an option for me mm-hmm. which was probably a positive because I found that yeah I might get seven hours sleep with a sleeping pill but I'm dealing with this hangover of the pill as well yeah so I might as well just take the five hours and <laughs> no pill side effects than the seven yeah. hours where you're feeling groggy and crap.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's, I think it's quite ironic, you know, the way you describe those side effects because often a lot of our concern about sleep is based on how we feel the next day. You know, during the day when we're awake, it just feels really unpleasant. We can feel groggy and maybe confused, you know, that brain fog. Yeah. And yet at the same, so we reach, you know, for for a medication or a supplement or something like that that comes oftentimes can come with those very side effects yeah. that we're yeah. taking them for to try and avoid. You know, that's why they can become yes. such a double-edged sword.
1: I felt like I found them, like I used to suffer from really bad jet lag. So I, mm. I might get somewhere in a really different time zone and it might take me a week of my holiday to recover. And I found that one time I did take sleeping tablets and it was just like a game changer. I took them for a couple of nights and I was back. And But when you're on holidays, you're not researching sleep, right? You're like out enjoying mm. yourself. And-
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and just that change of environment as well. Yeah. If we've, We can easily just associate our own beds or our own sleeping environment with that struggle. And so we can feel really sleepy, ready for sleep. And then we go into our bedroom and the brain is like, oh, this is where bad things happen wakey, yeah. wakey time. Whereas when we go on vacation, or like you described, go into a different environment, a different hotel room, or go to your parents' house, sometimes we can sleep. But I think it's one of those things that can sometimes be helpful in the short term, but over the longer term, it's one of those things. Oh, I worked at first, why is it not working now? And the reason it's not working over the longer <laughs> yeah. term was because it doesn't really get to the root of the problem, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, actually, all of my things failing, particularly the hotel one was the most stubborn because that was something Mm. that I was doing a lot, which is quite expensive, as you can also Also because I don't like any noise or any traffic noise. or So I'm like, you have to go five star, basically, to get that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But during my kind of recovery, the more that stuff stopped working, I think the closer I was to coming good. Mm. because i thought the first night that i couldn't sleep in a hotel i was like oh well that's gone now Like i might as well pers- persist with my own bed
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's a great way of looking at it um and i think we've we've opened this discussion really well because i think a lot of people are going to identify with different aspects of everything you've described you know so we've got a lot of people can recognize it you know, they would sleep on and off, like have some little patches of sleep difficulties over for as long as they can remember. Whereas other people don't; they're like this insomnia just strikes. Both, both, both are equally normal, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but then we get this time where the sleep disruption occurs, and for some reason it doesn't disappear. Um, and that's to get, that's where we're most likely to get caught up in the struggle, you know, and that's when we start doing all those all those things to try and fix the problem, (laughs) understandably, and they all make sense, you know, when we're doing them, you know, um, I want to get more sleep, so I'm going to go to bed earlier, for example. Um, All these things that we do to try and fix the problem, but they kind of backfire on us and they actually perpetuate the problem. You know, that's like putting the, that's like, filling up an oxygen tank, putting the mask onto insomnia, putting insomnia into (laughs) intensive care and looking after it saying, never leave me, stay with me forever. That's the effect it can have, you know. Um, And so what we we look to do um, in terms of effective long-term solutions is to just address those perpetuating factors, you know, so changing our behaviors in a way that helps create better conditions for sleep and exploring all those thought processes that we have about sleep, you know, our relationship with our thoughts, not necessarily trying to um, dispute them or to push them away, but just to change the way that we live our lives with the brain kind of broadcasting all those thoughts in the background.
1: Um,
0: And, you know, so basically, that's the more theoretical side of it, which you've just explained perfectly in practical terms. You know, uh, there was some sleep disruption every now and then. It stuck around. I gave up coffee. Um, I started to book hotels. I did this. I tried supplements. I tried sleeping pills. All the all those changes. And over the long term, they're not helpful. Um, and then we can end up worrying more because all these things we're trying and not proving to be helpful. You know, it just becomes such a vicious cycle, doesn't it?
1: yeah that's right (laughs) and just things like the sleepy time tea and if you look at the ingredients of that it's just like chamomile and something else and you just i'm like that does i reckon a lot of those things like they help a good sleeper have an even better sleep (laughs) potentially even though that might be placebo as well but when you've got like chronic insomnia it's yeah you they work for a couple of days and then your anxiety gets even worse because then they've stopped working (laughs) And then you just think nothing's yeah. going to work. It's somebody trapped in this hell forever.
0: Yeah, it's, it is it is difficult. Um, you know, I, although we don't see, you know, sleepy time teas, for example, listed as something we see included in these sleep hygiene rules and rituals, they're, they're pretty much just another one of those things. You know, maybe they can be helpful if you're already sleeping pretty well. Um, you're just looking for a little bit more optimization or a little bit more relaxation yeah. or something like that. but. By the time we're dealing with the more entrenched insomnia, you know, sleepy time tea or supplements or things like that probably aren't going to make much difference. And
1: yeah.
0: that's an, that's another area where we can get trapped um, is, you know, adding those rituals, for example, sleepy time tea, but also taking things away from ourselves that we enjoy. So like we, for example, you said you really enjoy coffee. That was one of the first things you gave up. You know, I'm going to give up the coffee now. So. Yeah. It's probably not going to have any influence on your sleep unless you're drinking like 12 gallons of it a day uh, all the <laughs> way up until midnight. Um, but what it is doing is it's it's training. You. Well, first of all, we're taking away something positive from our lives. You know, we're taking away a plus. Um, yeah. And second of all, we're kind of training ourselves that sleep is. Um, is having a negative influence on our lives. You know, I've got to sleep because if I don't sleep now I've taken coffee away, what what else am I going to have to take away? I'm going to have to take away going to the gym or I'm going to have to take away going out with friends. And before you know it, you know, it's just completely taken over your life and you're just kind of sitting in your room, not doing anything. And that in itself still doesn't help. You know, it's like our brain wants to do a deal with us. Do this and you'll feel better. So you do it. You might feel a little bit better right away, But then over the longer term, it's not really helping you feel any better.
1: I also got into a really bad habit of the lunchtime nap. Mm -hmm. And when we went back to the office after the when they all opened up again, I was on this roster of one week in the office, one week not in the office. And I got to the point where when I was in the office, I was like sneaking home at lunchtime and. Um, things like that and I just thought oh this is just not and then that would increase my anxiety I'm like what if my boss notices and I'm not there mm-hmm. I was lying and saying there was a tradesman coming over when there wasn't and yeah I was like this is just not help- helping <laughs> the situation yeah. at all and you know as a 35 year old woman like having a daytime nap is just not
0: acceptable <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't live fun. in
1: Spain and running a late night restaurant having a siesta
0: <laughs> yeah it's it- it's interesting, you know, that talking about the naps, you know, they can, they can really be tricky because if, if we're someone that's always kind of had these short naps in the day, like even before we were struggling with insomnia, then maybe we don't necessarily have to give them up if it's one of those things that we enjoy. But the reason why we usually suggest trying to resist that urge to nap during the day is because, you know, when we nap during the day, if we sleep, we're relieving some of that sleep drive, you know? So if we just imagine sleep drive is like blowing air into a balloon, every minute of wakefulness, we're blowing air into that balloon. And the idea is when that balloon is really full, we go to bed, it bursts and we sleep. If we nap during the day, we're letting air out of that balloon. By the time we go to bed, then we got kind of a floppy saggy balloon, probably not going to help with sleep. Um, (laughs) But then if we tried a nap because we've had some bad nights, Going through a bad patch of sleep, not got any sleep, and then we still don't sleep. Then we get even more worried because, like, now I can't even nap. So what is going on?
1: Then you put your focus on the nighttime sleep. You have yeah. to get that good sleep, and
0: then yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know where we can get tripped up. Then I think where we where we where I see people with chronic insomnia often getting tripped up is in terms of the daytime naps is. People with chronic insomnia nap because they want to sleep. You know, they're desperate for sleep. They want sleep to happen. People without chronic insomnia nap because they're sleepy. You know, they're actually finding it hard to stay awake. And that's that might sound interesting to say, and people might be listening to this thinking, well, of course I'm sleepy. I've got insomnia. But the interesting thing with people with chronic insomnia is we use this phrase, tired but wired you know which is more to do with fatigue so we can be really tired but our brain is like wired you know it's keeping us going and so conditions aren't usually right for napping for people with chronic insomnia Um, most clients that I work with when they try to nap they're not usually very successful at generating sleep you know and I think it comes down to that intent which is the second part of what I wanted to just quickly touch upon what is our intent with anything If when our intent is sleep, whether it's listening to a relaxation session, if our goal is sleep, if we're napping because we want sleep rather than because we're sleepy, um, if we're taking a supplement because the goal is sleep, all these things are unhelpful because they're sleep efforts and they imply that we can control sleep. We can't control sleep. We can definitely create better conditions for sleep, but we can't like wave a magic wand and make sleep happen. Nothing can do that. And whenever we engage in a sleep effort, we're also kind of telling the mind, okay, I'm trying this. Let's see if it works. And so the mind is always a few notches higher now to see, okay, so tonight we took a melatonin at seven (laughs) o'clock. We did a sleepy time tea at 7.23. We took a bath at the the bath temperature was 98 degrees fahrenheit not celsius <laughs> yeah. um we used this certain brand of smelling salts let's yeah. see if that that's the secret sauce you know and yeah. that increases the arousal and <laughs> often just creates less favorable conditions for sleep
1: i remember one day i i um fell asleep on the beach i was so relaxed which was extremely rare for that time and I emailed you and I said, oh, I just ruined everything. I fell asleep on the beach. And you did say like, well, if it, ha- if it happened, it just happened, you know. It's, yeah. And I kind of take that now that say it's a Saturday and I've got up really early and I've gone to the gym and I've been at the market and I've got something on that night. And I think, oh, God, I just love to lie down and relax. And, and sometimes I do indulge in a bit of a nap like that, but I always make that. Intention. I always think about what my intention is, and if if yeah. my intention is to catch up on sleep, then I will not allow myself to have the nap. But mm-hmm. if the intention is to like just relax and just have a, you know, when I'm actually feeling sleepy, I'll do it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's an important distinction to make, right? Because. But when we're kind of in the throes of insomnia, we tend to find that a lot of our behaviors are centered on that intention of making sleep happen. And when we kind of get to this point where we can move away from, from those sleep efforts, that attempt to control sleep, that attempt to make sleep happen, we can definitely start engaging in some more experiments and becoming a little bit more relaxed around it you know as our mindset changes our behaviors can also change and yeah like you said I think a lot of it does just come down to our intent and all of these techniques I talk about on the podcast and when I'm working with clients these aren't necessarily things that we're looking to be implementing for the rest of our lives they're just a way of getting us back on track you know um, being aware of how our behaviors can influence sleep you know and how our relationship with our thoughts can influence sleep once we've got that knowledge under our belt um we typically start to sleep a lot better or feel a bit more comfortable about our sleep and then we can start you know what what's the best term for it just getting back to you know not having concern about sleep rule our behaviors but we've always got those skills in our back pockets. so if ever we yeah. find ourselves struggling again we can just kind of pull them back out and just start implementing them again.
1: Yeah, 100%. And you do uh, over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, even on a weekly basis, you're pulling out the techniques just to yeah. bring you back on track and just always having that. Another thing you said to me was that you've never seen a unique case of insomnia. Yeah. And I just thought that I found that so helpful that if you could Basically, see an improvement in everyone. Even some of the people you've had on your podcast have been suffering with insomnia for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if someone like that can, um, I'm like number one. I'm like, how terrible that they haven't got, didn't have the treatment options available to them. And, yeah. um, but also, yeah, that if that if you can help someone who's had it for twenty years and who's having multiple nights of no sleep and every single week then it will it will work for me. Yeah. Yeah. And how, knowing that was really comforting as well.
0: Yeah, I get, I mean I think it is comforting because especially if we're one of going back to what I was saying earlier if you're one of these people that have never struggle with sleep disruption before and then suddenly it just appears out of nowhere and it just seems to stick around it can be really worrying you know it can be really you can easily believe that there's something uniquely wrong that that you are the only person with this issue but there are many many people out there going through exactly what you're going through you know everyone's individual circumstances are probably unique but the The behavior of insomnia, how insomnia works, the influence it has, the way it affects our sleep, the way it affects our daytime lives is virtually identical from person to person. And like you said, I'm still waiting to work with a client or to receive an email from someone who tells me something I've not heard before, because (laughs) that's definitely not to belittle what people with insomnia are going through. It is just to reassure that. From person to person, insomnia is pretty much identical, and that means that if insomnia from person to person is identical, these techniques that have helped other people with the same insomnia as you are almost certain, certainly going to help you too. Yeah. So t- let's let's talk about some of these techniques. So we've got we got yeah. a lot of the background stuff and I'm out of the way. When we were working together. What kind of, let's start with like the behavioral change side of things. What kind of new behaviors did you implement and find were particularly helpful for you?
1: I far the most helpful technique, and it's something that I practice now, was the stimulus control. So the getting out of bed, um, just to get, just to break that stimulus of, or break that association of having a frustration with the bed. Hmm. And I still probably use this technique every week. If I'm thinking that, oh, I'm feeling anxious and I get out of bed and it works nine times out of ten that you go back to bed or you might have to do it twice and then you go straight to sleep. So that was the most helpful and that was not something that I was doing at all. Mm. Um, But then the sleep restriction, I think that helped because I was going to bed at such erratic times that really helped even though I was religiously waking up at four every day annoyingly mm-hmm. but I was going to bed all these different times and and just having that rigidity of not having to worry about am I going to get eight hours am I going to get nine hours am I going to get 10 hours even though getting 10 hours is not something I'd ever done <laughs> all of a sudden I was yeah. striving to get this 10, yeah. 10 hours um, and yeah, so probably I I noticed kind of small changes every week and this is something I was we were going to talk about, about how I didn't see instantaneous results, which is what I like. And my personality as well is, and I've got friends who are in similar roles to me. So I'm in sales, which is already mm. like a stimulating job. You're doing sales, you're losing sales. You're, I run a big team of 30 people. And I speak to people with personalities like mine and so many of them in the corporate world. We're all the same. Like You just, <laughs> this kind of personality that's like always on, like I open my eyes and I'm there and I'm, I don't have any sleep inertia and stuff. So um, I, I think yeah, so probably the, just getting that, not having to worry about that timing of going to bed and getting awake and waking up, like knowing when I was getting up, that alleviated a bit of the anxiety of it because Mm. I wasn't striving for sleep anymore. I was just saying, well, I'll get this much sleep or I won't. And I'm going to get up and enjoy my day. And um, yeah, I expected really quick results. I probably just, I saw small incremental improvements every single week. And I was on your forums thinking, why haven't I had this magic cure that some of your other guests, this is probably just my assumption because you make an extraordinary number of assumptions as well when you have insomnia. Um, is that you're, the program worked in six weeks for some people? You know, I'm five, six weeks in and I'm still, I might have gone from say four and a half, five hours to like five hours and 45 minutes or six hours, but I was still, I expected the miracle cure. You know, I wanted fast results. Normally, if I don't get results in something, I just fail, fail fast, move on. But this was not, yeah. this was not the technique that I could use. I had to persist. I had to have faith. And um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's funny you said that because I was working with a client recently. And he, here's what I find in my own experience is the clients that come to me expecting this to take time tend to get results the quickest the ones who start working with me and they're quite understandably really keen to get fast results you know for things to turn around really quickly they're the ones that tend to struggle a little bit more and it takes longer for them to get the results um and i think it just comes down to that that the effort again you know it's our natural human inclination to put effort into a problem to fix it. But the problem is sleep doesn't respond well to effort. Um, We cannot control sleep. You know, it's, it's like with any goal, you know, we cannot make ourselves reach a goal, but we can control our journey toward that goal. You know, so I might want to be when I was a kid. Let's say this when I was a child, I wanted to be a pilot of Concorde, you know, the the supersonic jetliner that's not around anymore. So it turns out I made a good choice abandoning that. Um, But, (laughs) but anyway, I had that goal, but I can't, I couldn't make myself become pilot of Concorde, you know, but I could go to school, I could join the air cadets as a teenager. There are all these things that I could control towards that journey. Um, But I couldn't control the actual goal, reaching that goal, that outcome. And it's like that with sleep and with insomnia. You know, we can control our behaviors in terms of making sure we're not spending 10 hours in bed when we are averaging four or five hours of sleep. Um, We can try and go about our days as normally as possible, try and avoid those safety behaviors. We can control all these actions, but we can't control sleep itself. Yeah. So if we can focus all of our attention on the actions on the process side of things and just leave the outcome to just do what it's doing, you know, that's when we tend to get the best results. And actually, ironically, the faster the results, because we're not focused on what we cannot control. We're more focused on what we can control. Yeah. And, and it does, it does take time though, at the same time. And I think the fact that you've identified stimulus control as being one of those really helpful techniques is a good illustration of that because for people not familiar with the technique, what we often see as we touched upon right at the start of our of this episode was we can learn to associate our beds with unpleasant wakefulness, tossing and turning, anxiety, stress, and worry. Um, and so our brain is like, all right, bed no longer equals sleep, relaxation, coziness, bed equals danger, risk, you know, there's going to be this, it's almost like when you're a kid, is there someone hiding under the bed, you know, and you start to freak out. Um, So what we want to do is just the good news is that's learned, right? It's this learned association. So it can be unlearned, or we can relearn the original association of bed equals nice place to be. And we can do that by just doing whatever it takes to make being awake in bed or just being awake at night, a bit more pleasant. Um, And just as it took time to learn that the bed is not a nice place to be, it does take time to relearn that the bed can be a nice place to be. Um, (laughs) Although it's usually not, doesn't take as long. It still does take time. So I think we do have to have realistic expectations too. Let's say you had insomnia for like 10 years, 20 years, you're probably not going to turn it on its head in like four weeks. You know, it's probably going to take longer. And
1: I have clients that
0: I finish working with them at like, say around eight weeks, there's been some small improvements. And then I hear back from them in like a month's time or three months later. And they're like, you know, I kept on going and I got, I got my transformation, you know, it's just, so it really can take a long amount of time. And I think if you come into it with the assumption that it will take time, that it, that these changes can be difficult, especially in the short term. Um, And although we can't control the outcome, we can control the process. I think that can be really helpful.
1: I found that it did get worse at the start in terms Mm. of I was getting even less sleep. And even though I knew that I discussed that with you and you said that that's normal, um, it's just hard when you've got that every day and you're going to work and. you know, trying to live, not cancel on plans or anything. Um, but when you're just, yeah, getting those headaches and those body aches and and then I ended up taking like paracetamol and things like that and then you wonder if that's going to erode your liver and you just got all this mm. like, all this constant, even though I don't think it does if you take two paracetamol a day mm. <laughs> or, you know, it's just like a bit of a myth, but Um, I actually it was only really about two months ago that I really started to be able to shift from associating a bad night's sleep with having a sleep disorder Mm -hmm. to associating anxiety about sleeping more to things that are going on in my daily life that actually have nothing to do with sleep And, and what that kind of brought that on. And it's just an extension of everything I'd learned from you was that I did this leadership course and it was three days. It was two nights staying at this hotel, which I was looking forward to, because this was actually when the hotel vice stopped working for me. Um, and part of the leadership course was on the self-limiting identities. And this could be anything in, in work, right? This could be, I'm not smart enough. I'm not um, you know, confident enough, I'm not good-looking enough, whatever you're. Mm. And I, I started to think about how I identified so strongly as an insomniac and how that was, I think, holding me back from really being able to move forward properly And because I couldn't help myself. I ended up re- researching. I put insomnia identity in Google. Mm. And it came up with this study that said that people who had Uh, Participate in the study had identified as insomniacs and what this study found was over a third of them didn't even have insomnia they were you know like medically they didn't even they couldn't even be diagnosed with it and I thought oh I've had three nights bad night's sleep out of in a fortnight I don't even have insomnia like I'm walking around saying I'm insomniac and I'm actually not (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and I had a bad night really bad night's sleep that night at the course and I was just going down the spiral again. It's going to come back. I'm going to go back to that hell. You know, it's all been for nothing. I'll never get better. Um, All the other people on the podcast got better, but I won't. And um, interestingly, the facilitator of the course, so there were 15 people doing the course, and she said, who had a good night's sleep last night? In the meantime, I just like verbal vomited to her about my insomnia that morning and um two people put up their hand out of 15 two people had a good night's sleep yeah and I looked around and you know I go to bed at 8 30 the course went until 9 30 it was talking about your self-limiting beliefs and all of this real introspection and um and I just looked around and I thought I'm the only one spiraling out of control here but I didn't have a worse night than anyone else here and and they were just looking at it as like a one-off event. I had a bad night's sleep last night. How shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm like, oh, I'm just going down this spiral of, this, of these negative thoughts. And, and after that, I started to think that, so I've just moved house a couple of weeks ago. And there were a couple of nights where I thought, I'm not going to have a good night's sleep. But I was able to say, well, you've just moved house. You've just moved in with your partner. I'm sleeping in a bed with him every night now. I'm sleeping in a different bed. We're still settling in. There's boxes everywhere. Yeah, you might have a bad night's sleep. You probably will.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But it'll pass just like it has the other times. And yeah. even if it does, it's, yeah, it's not a permanent thing. And, I've, and now that I've had that mental thing that I actually don't, I've, like, recovered from my sleep disorder, you know, I can, I'm, I can really dissociate that from any anxieties that I'd be feeling in the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really interesting topic, you know, this, how the role of insomnia identity plays into, into everything. Um, You know, there was, there was a study that I recently read, and it found that people that identified as insomniacs, you know, that, that in itself was more predictive of what we call daytime impairment, you know, more difficult days than poor sleep was. Um, So, Just to repeat that, just having that insomnia identity was more predictive of daytime impairment than how you sleep. So I think there's definitely something to, you know, having this identity, which we naturally as human beings, we're going to form that identity, especially when we've had insomnia for long periods of time. But that means that it's like this lower hanging fruit that maybe if we can tackle that and give ourselves a new, a new, more more helpful more constructive identity um, that that can be helpful
1: i kind of associate to think of it as a bit like say if you've had a history of a bad depression and you have one bad day where you had a shitty day you think oh my depression's coming back whereas with me i'm like i had a bad day i'm gonna get a pizza i'm gonna get some chocolate i'm gonna you know watch netflix and think about my you know drown my sorrows in this ice cream and tomorrow I'll have a great day. I don't think of it as anything that's going to stick around. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about that a bit, like, you know, looking at insomnia like that. Yeah. I had a bad night's sleep. It was just a bad night's sleep.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. I think Especially if we can remember a time in our past when we had some sleep disruption and it didn't really affect us. But all of a sudden now it is. Um, often it does come down to you know our interpretation of what it means to have those difficult nights. Um, back in the past, maybe insomnia didn't stick around because precisely because we didn't really pay much attention to having some difficult nights. But of course, you know, we're all human when those difficult nights stick around, then we are going to start to get a bit more worried about them. Um, And then that can feed feed into that negative cycle. But really, all these thoughts mean, you know, I I think we need to recognize that all these thoughts, whether they're constructive or not, they're all just our minds looking out for us. You know, so when the mind's like, if you don't sleep tomorrow, will be awful. You might lose your job. You're going to get fired. You're never going to make it through your day. You're going to be a bad mom. You're going to be a bad teacher, whatever. These are all our brain looking out for us being like, it's like having that really overly enthusiastic, really intense friend that's just always calling you up. Yeah. How are you doing? How are you doing? What do you how do you feel about that? Just over yeah. and over. And our minds are like that. Our mind is trying so hard to give us the best life possible that it's actually getting in our way. Um, yeah. So we can't control those thoughts, you know, because our brain is always gonna want to look out for us. None of us would be alive here, alive today if it wasn't for our brains wanting to look out for us. But where we can make a difference is, you know, how we respond to those thoughts. Do we let those thoughts take over all of our actions and all our behaviors and kind of move us away from the life we want to live? Or do we recognize those thoughts as, thanks, brain, you're looking out for me. Doesn't make me feel good, but I realize you're looking out for me. Taking a step back, maybe you're taking a moment and then deciding how to respond. Are you going to respond in a way that kind of moves you away from your values? You know, I'm going to now I'm going to cancel that, that that night out with friends, or are you gonna still go out with friends, live according to your values, yeah. even with that megaphone in the background, your brain looking out for you?
1: Yeah. There was one podcast you did, Celia, and she really kind of I resonated with her. And and she was someone who'd had sleep distro- you know, sleep issues her whole life. And um and she said a couple of things that really resonated with me. The first one was that her husband says to her, but things are so much better than they used to be, and I think about that all the time when I'm like, Oh, I've had a couple of bad nights, which is which is fewer and far between now. Um, I always think that there's so much, so much better than it used to be. And the second one she said was that she had an obsession with being cured, so I'm mm. gonna this program is gonna cure me, and I once I let go of that. Um, it was funny that day that you released the podcast with Celia because I'd had quite a bad run of a couple of nights, and then I woke up and I looked at my phone and, and um, I think you'd sent an email saying that there was a new podcast and with Celia, and I thought, "Oh, I'll listen to that." And yeah, just so many of the things she said was just—it was just like that serendipitous timing where. Yeah. But the obsession with being cured, I kind of let go of that because I thought. You know, I've had this for so many times, or I've, I've had memories of this sleeping stuff since I was about eight years old. Like, I'm never going to be cured. It'll probably come. It'll probably come back at some point, or you know, even in a short term capacity. But I think the way you, that I react to it is going to determine whether it sticks around for a couple of days or a couple of months. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. What what I really liked when I was talking to, to Celia was she just completely changed her mindset and she was just like, look, there is no cure. She just changed her mindset yeah. to that. Look, there's no cure. And what I liked about that was I think she had framed it in a way that was like, look, there's no cure to sleep disruption from time to time. It's just going to affect, it's going to affect, it affects every human being on the planet. It's going to affect me from time to time. There's no cure for that you know, we cannot eliminate every single potential trigger for sleep disruption. There's probably like 10 billion of them, you know, probably more. Um, we yeah. can't live our lives just trying to eliminate all those potential triggers. Um, yeah. Um, But what we can do is make sure that we're not going to kind of feed them. You know, we're not going to be that oxygen yeah. tank for the insomnia to stick around for longer than it needs to. Yeah. And we can also do things no matter how small, you know, even if we're really struggling, no matter how small, we can take tiny baby steps towards living the kind of life we want to live, even when we have difficult nights, even over a really sustained period of time. So there are still tiny, teeny things that we can do um, that kind of give the middle finger to insomnia and say that, hey, <laughs> even though you're doing this to me, I can still do this for myself. And I think that, yeah. that is a big mindset change that can be helped.
1: And I think, you know, if, if I'm if I'm going to have a job where for nine hours a day, it's full on, full on, full on, like stimulating. Then I mm. need to balance that out with other, you know, and I think that's where I have, haven't have done that in the past necessarily. And um, so I look at it more as like self-care. I don't look at it as things to stop the insomnia coming back. I just look at it yeah. as, well, I need to look after myself and, um, I, you know, otherwise I should get a more stress-free job, even though I don't know where that, where that exists, but... Um, <laughs> And then if I get a different job because of my insomnia, then we're just back at square one. Right, so.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> letting it rule your life again.
0: Yeah, it 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 can you know it it can be really easy to just try, to like end up getting getting kind of caught up in that trap again, right? Because it's so easy yeah. to just suddenly be like, well, I th- I think what it is is because our brain is just so keen to look out for us, you know, it's like it's always going to have those statements to give us, you know, like maybe if you stay home tonight, you know, you're feeling pretty stressed, stay home tonight, you'll feel better and maybe you'll sleep great, you know, and it's really easy to sometimes those thoughts can be really helpful when we listen to them and implement what our brain is telling us, but sometimes they can't. So it's it's definitely a balancing act and it can be tricky. And one of the things I see in clients that have really kind of, made that transformational change is they're just less what's the phrase to use like less reactive to the thoughts better able to recognize that all these thoughts going on in the mind are thoughts and that we always get to choose how we want to react to them and we can react in a way that's going back to values you know because I think it's easy to illustrate we can react in a way that's not really aligned with our values or we can react in a way that is aligned with our values even though our mind might be telling us not to go in that direction.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: One thing that I did just quickly want to just circle back on, because I know it's something that you you were also keen to talk about, which is, you know, how this process can take time and that it is a journey. You know, we're never going to change. We can definitely change our behaviors overnight, but we're probably yeah. not going to get results overnight. But changing our kind of mindset, that definitely usually takes a, a lot longer. Um, can you yeah. just tell us a little bit more about, you know, that what that process was like for you? I remember, I think you touched upon earlier that, you know, it was you were seeing like these incremental improvements over months and months, but yeah. now it, it's only kind of like now more recently that you feel you've really hit that major, that real turning point.
1: So we started, I mean, I first reached out to you about 12 months ago. And I started the program and we kind of both decided that I should stop and wait until I was really ready to do it because I was trying to do the sleep diary, but I was, you know, in the midst of my little dating experiment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a lot of social things on that I was, when in that 12 weeks that I was going, moving up to Queensland, I was on my own nearly the whole time. And that was just, it's not healthy, you know, as a human to to be like that. But particularly as like an extroverted person, it kind of took a a bit of a toll on me. And then when I got to Brisbane, I was just taking every social kind of, you know, invitation. I was so excited to be there. And and so that was when I was, you know, going to bed at 11 and then 8. And then I was, I just couldn't commit to it. And Mm. we decided that I would pause it. And then I picked it up in at the end of January. And this was just a better time for me. Like there was, it was much more calm. I'd kind of settled in to where I was. There wasn't all the Christmas social activities going on. Um, and so, you know, I kind of I could commit to the program fully then. So I think that's that's a really important part of just making sure that you're ready. To do it, and that you know yeah. that you're 100% committed. Otherwise, you just it won't work. Um, but yeah, it was just such slow changes that just required so much persistence, just to keep having faith that you I would get results if I mm-hmm. continued along the path. And um, yeah, it was probably I, I actually did break the break the uh, the deal and do a little bit of research on it recovery insomnia recovery and that also helped me as well because it really said that you don't you're not really expected to have full confidence until probably six plus months after you've done a period of of um I guess cognitive behavioral therapy and and the sleep restriction and I think that really helped me as well because I thought oh I am tracking to a timeline of The recovery that I was just expecting to be cured within the eight-week program and Mm -hmm. um, having a bit of a that I ended up having a video call with you probably in June-ish and you know that kind of got me back on track as well but I also got a promotion during that time just to add another kind of layer of stress and a new relationship so um, and I kind of got to the point where I'd reached the level of my stress, you know, I, I and I took a couple of weeks off work. I took three weeks off work and that was just a huge benefit as well. So I didn't take, I took it as leave. Um, and that just allowed me to take one stimulating thing out of my life and get my kind of stress levels down. And that really helped as well because it was just, I was running, it was an uphill battle trying to, you know, control my insomnia when, or not control my insomnia, that's not a a terrible way to put it but you know to 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 focus on try, you know my re- recovery from the chronic insomnia while having so many external stimulating things coming at me still and I think just mm-hmm. having those couple of weeks off but I know that that's not possible for everyone but I took it as like I'm gonna have a holiday I'm just gonna do some things for myself and relax and as a result of that The first couple of days got even worse, just like I was still in the research projects and everything. But then as, you know, I started to exercise again, which is another thing I'd given up, started to exercise again and I started to just do more calming things, like having a few massages and stuff. And that kind of got my my stress levels down to a point Mm. where I could, you know, go back to getting up at the same time every day. And you know, it, that really helped as well. So, but I'm st- it's still a work in progress, but I've just moved and I haven't had really any bad. I've had a couple of slightly shorter sleeps, but I'm getting around the seven, eight hour sleep now. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple of six night sleep, hours sleep, but, and I need that seven, seven and a half to feel rested. I'm not one of these lucky people who can, sustain themselves on five hours sleep. But um, I haven't had any of those kind of periods where it just goes to having four hours, then three hours, then none, and the spiralling despair. (laughs) It's kind of I've been able to bounce back, but I've I've really just focused on that. Um, Well, you know, I'm still a little bit shaky about my confidence with sleep, but it'll only get... It's, yeah, as Celia said, things are so much better than they used to be. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what you just have to keep thinking and, yeah. And, you know, I actually had, I came across the techniques that you teach initially because I started seeing a sleep psychologist here. And I ended up going with your program because he became progressively, like, the ability to talk to you every day That was huge for me, just being able Mm. to say, oh, but what if I, But you know, my sleep schedule is until 5.30, but what if I wake up at 10 past 5, should I stay in bed another 20 minutes, or should I get up, or what if I do this, or what if I do that, or um, that was so good, just to have that constant support, because what I found with my sleep psychologist, and this is just a wonderful thing about the pandemic, is that he became so busy, because there was so much such a big increase in insomnia mm. during the pandemic that I couldn't, I used to be able to get in, in with him once a week and it gets a, got to the point where I couldn't get in to see him for five weeks at a time. And it's just mm. not enough. It wasn't enough support. Um, and he even told me that it's got a phrase, corona-somnia. Mm. <laughs> and it's just like an epidemic now. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: I think yeah. I what what I really like. Well, you, you so much good stuff there. Um, I think what I liked was you know making sure that if you're if you're ready to make some changes to create these better conditions for sleep it's important to recognize that some changes are going to need to be made. Right. And sometimes yeah. life when we, we might, might not be ready for that, whether life is really hectic for us right now, if we relocate and we've got a new, we're just starting a new job or something like that, maybe now isn't the right time. So choosing a time that's appropriate to start, but also recognizing there's probably never any perfect time. Um, it's yeah. kind of like choosing when to have kids. If you're someone that wants to have kids and you're waiting for the perfect time, that perfect time is probably never going to turn up. Um so just but recognizing that it does require change. So is, am I in a place right now where I'm ready to make those changes and really commit to, to, some, yeah. to doing something new, something different? Um, and then taking time off work, you know, I think that's, that's one of these potential double-edged sword things, right? Yeah. And I think it worked really well for you because you used it as a time to do good stuff. You know, so you started to get back into doing all the stuff that was aligned with your values that made you feel good. You didn't spend all of that time just lying in bed. I need sleep. I need sleep. I need sleep. You know, Um, (laughs) and that's a trap we can fall into. You know, we think, oh, take a couple of weeks off work. But then what normally happens is we just have a whole day of nothingness ahead of us. And when we got nothing to do, we're going to be less, probably less productive. Uh, the megaphone in our brain gets a bit louder, you know, because there's nothing else for us to be focused on. Um, So that could be a bit of a double-edged sword, um, but it worked for you, like I said, because you filled it with your values, filled it with good stuff. um, And my partner,
1: he actually lost his job. Not Well, he finished up at his job because he was starting to study full time. So it ended up that we had this time off together, Mm. which we'd never really had. Yeah. So we could kind of do things together as well, that obviously he's not going to lie in bed all day. Um, so that took that focus off
0: that we ended up yeah. going on a
1: road trip. and.
0: Nice. Yeah. So like you're using that time to, to basically live life, right. Which is yeah. way more important than sleep at the end of the day, when we're yeah. really old and we're looking back in our lives, we're probably not going to be thinking of all the great sleep we had. We're going to be thinking <laughs> of all the great things we did when we were awake. Um, and, you know, yeah. and just the final thing you touched upon was, you know, this this whole new label that we've got of Corona Somnia or whatever whatever they're calling it these days. Um, I think we just have to recognize that anytime something stressful happens, we're probably going to go through a period of sleep disruption, you know, and dealing with this pandemic is just another one of those things. Yeah. Um but, you know, we see it in the media and stuff. Everyone likes to a, a, put a label onto something and then share all this information that probably ends up just freaking us out even more about sleep and that isn't usually helpful. But it just proves, again, that if you want to call it corona-somnia or insomnia or anything else, it's all the same thing, you know, because from person to person, <laughs> insomnia yeah. is the same. It really doesn't matter what label we, we put on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And in where I am now, we've, they just by some miracle have had barely any COVID-19 here. And the way they've, set, they've dealt with it is if they had one, I mean, they've relaxed a bit now, thank God, but even if they had one case, they lock everything down and tell you to go home. So you're going in the office, then I'm not going in the office, then I'm being sent home from the office, then I'm working, then you're not even allowed to have your partner over then you can have your partner over and and it's also created a divide between so I've got a team around Australia and you've got people hit hard by it and then you've got people like in the state I'm in, like, living your life like it's normal. Mm-hmm. And so it's created this real divide as well, uh, which has had yeah. to be managed. Um, you're managing not only your own kind of in uncertainty but all these other people who, like, look to you for their support as well. Yeah. So,
0: you guess, know, yeah. you know, you know what I think it comes down to, it just comes down to the fact that life is difficult, you know, and life comes with pain and yeah. it's just a fact of life and where we can get tri- tr- really tripped up is when we try and just eliminate the pain and eliminate, you know, difficult thoughts, difficult emotions and feelings when we make that, the f- make that our focus, that's when we can really get caught up in the struggle, um, if we can kind of move away from that, you know, trying to eliminate all this potential painful thoughts and memories and feelings and emotions (laughs) more towards our actions, you know, just doing stuff that's meaningful to us, um, then that has usually has a far better outcome because we're focused on what we have control over and we can always control our actions no matter how difficult the circumstances we find ourselves in. But at the same time, we do need to recognize that life is difficult. Yeah. We have to be like, we have to make some time for some self-care too. You know, um, life yeah. isn't easy. There are difficult times. And many of us are really good at being compassionate when friends are going through difficulties. But when we're going through difficulties, we tend to like, tell ourselves off you shouldn't be feeling this way you're a failure you should be doing this you should be feeling that (laughs) yeah sometimes we need to turn this around and just imagine ourselves as our best friend or what would I tell my best friend in this in this situation what would I say to them and sometimes just that in itself giving ourselves that little bit of um, self-care can be a little bit can be helpful too
1: and you know when I went to the doctor and I said oh I've got insomnia and they say, "What have you? What's your life been like lately?" And I'm like, "Well, in the last eighteen months, I've lived in five houses, twenty-two hotels. I've moved to states. I've had a new relationship, a new job." And they're just like, "There's nothing wrong with you.
0: <laughs> right. Go
1: for a run. <laughs> I've had three yeah. doctors tell me to go for a run. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you." It's what they will say. I'm like, "Oh, I just start believing it." <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, I think when, when we've got that much in our play, I think it's understandable, you know, to expect her to go through some sleep disruption, yeah. not really much we can do about that. You know, as, as I think your doctor's probably not with much compassion um, shared with you, um, but it's when we kind of, when we kind of have adjusted to all these stresses or they're no longer relevant and the insomnia is sticking around, you know, that's when we can start to explore ways that we can create better conditions for sleep. But like you said, there's always going to be times of sleep disruption. You know, there is no magic cure. There's no way of eliminating every trigger for sleep disruption, living with some difficult nights from time to time is part of being a human being. But that doesn't mean that we have to live with insomnia every night for the rest of our lives. There are definitely things that we can do to create those better conditions for sleep and to live the kind of life we want to live independently of sleep and even perhaps in the presence of all those difficult thoughts and emotions that come along for the ride.
1: (laughs) One of the doctors I saw, he was an older German man, and he said to me in a heavy German accent that the only thing wrong with you is that you don't have your shit together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so I did that. Did, did that transform everything for you? Was that like a big insight and changed your life?
1: Well, he had a packet of cigarettes in his pocket, so I was—I didn't take too much notice of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because you know, it's like when someone tells you, "Oh, cheer up," or, or "Come on, don't feel sad, don't be angry, relax." When we're told yeah. to, when we're told yeah. how to feel, or we're told like how we should be feeling, it's never helpful. Um, oh, you feel
1: like punching someone in the face who says, mm-hmm. "Have you tried melatonin? Or um, have you tried using a? Have you tried listening to a meditation?" It's like, yeah. Yes, I've tried listening to. A meditation. <laughs> you know, don't tell yeah. someone with chronic insomnia that they should maybe have a have a warm bath and go to bed early.
0: It's yeah. Not... <laughs> so yeah. It's not exactly. Helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you're right. I think a lot of this stuff probably comes from the right place, you know, that yeah. from someone wanting to help. But I think everyone listening to this is going to know this. These things aren't helpful. You know, this is probably one of the things that someone listening to this is going to come away and not end up researching because they already know that the yeah. bubble bath isn't going to help. Melatonin <laughs> yeah. is probably not not helpful. Um, yeah. What is helpful is just changing making some behavioral changes to create those yeah. better conditions for sleep. Um, and just exploring the relationship we have with our thoughts, not trying to necessarily push them away and fight them. Yeah. Um, but maybe making a bit of space for them and then making that decision to live the kind of life we want to live, even when they're, even when they're present. Yeah. Um, so Felicity, I know I've taken, uh, a lot of your time and I really appreciate it, but I would just like to ask you one final question. Um, because I ask every guest it and I would feel bad for you if I didn't ask you the, the question too. So um, if someone with chronic insomnia is listening, uh, they feel like they've tried everything. They're beyond help. They can't do anything to improve their sleep. What would you tell them?
1: I would say that the like the natural techniques is the gold standard for treatment, that um, persistence pays off and that you probably won't get fast results if you've had, you know, if you've got the predisposition, you might not get the fast results, but if you persist with the techniques and, and, you know, reach out for you to you for support, Martin, um, then, you know, just like every other case you've worked with, you should see a significant improvement and maybe not a cure, probably not a cure, but, um, yeah, it I mean if you're in the if you're watching these podcasts, you're probably not in the greatest shape. And you know, it's worth a try. That's what I would say. Hang Great. in there.
0: Great. I love it. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to come out on, on the podcast today for I, I know that this no conversation problem. is going to help a lot of people. Lots of people are going to identify with everything we've talked about. So again, thank you.
1: No worries. Thanks, Martin.
0: Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. If you're ready to move away from struggling with insomnia, and toward living the life you want to live, I would love to help. You can get started right now by enrolling in my online course, or you can book my phone coaching package. My online course runs for six weeks. It will help you make changes that can create better conditions for sleep. It will help you identify and get rid of any behaviours that might be making sleep more difficult, and it will help you respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it in a more workable way. You can work through the course in two ways. You can choose the self-coaching option and work through it by yourself with the support of an online forum that is available only to clients, or you can choose to add one-on-one email coaching and work through the course with me by your side. With the one-on-one coaching option, you get unlimited email access to me for eight weeks, starting from the day you enrol. Any time you have a question or concern, any time you're unsure about anything, any time you want to focus on the challenges you face or any difficulties that show up, you can email me and I will be there to coach and support you. With the Phone Coaching Package, we start with a one-hour call, voice only or video, your choice, and come up with an initial two-week plan that will help you create better conditions for sleep and practice moving away from struggling with insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it. You get unlimited email access to me for two weeks after the call and a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach Podcast, I'm Martin Reed and as always I'd like to leave you with this important reminder, you can sleep.